Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. How you all doing? I'm going to warn you, right? I haven't been preaching for the last six weeks. Oh, I've got all this stored up energy. I've got a lot of things to say. I saw a lot of things over the last six weeks I need to deal with right now. All right? If I call you out by name, it's not a prophetic word. I'm just kidding. Everyone's like, <gasps> no, it's my great joy. It's a pun because we're discussing joy right now. To continue to talk on the things of God around the concept of joy. Next week, we're going to talk about the garment of praise. And the following week, we're going to talk about adoration. But right now, we're going to talk about a little bit more joy. Wow, okay. Don't tell me I'm preaching to a whole bunch of fakers. You all got the joy of the Lord, right? Oh, good, good. Saved yourselves. <laughs> Contenders this evening. Hey, let, let's just think about this. When in a Christian context, we talk about joy, we say joy a lot, but do we actually know what we're talking about? Right? I know we know that it's not like the superficial joy that this world is uh, you know, constantly pursuing, the concept of happiness, though happiness is important to us. I know we're not thinking about that, but do we actually know what joy is? I was hoping someone would know. Okay. <laughs> you know, when the Bible, when the Scripture talks of joy, it actually has a very wide application. We see it in the Old Testament and we see it in the New Testament. And weirdly, this might come as a shock, it's all connected. And I know you know why it's connected, because our source of joy is God. Now, we've got to be really careful that we don't use like Christianese comments like the joy of the Lord is our strength as a form of escapism. God's joy is not a blindfold. It's x-ray vision. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not the head in the sand. You know, the joy of the Lord allows you and your spiritual life to operate like a microscope and a telescope at the same time. How awesome is that? The joy that God talks about, the one that he reflects through his word, is such an empowerment for us as believers. He says it's our strength. So we're going to talk about that. So this is my first point for you. And if you're taking notes, hopefully this helps you. If you're of the new generation, you're like, well, if anything speaks to me, I'm going to go to YouTube later. Good for you. My first point is this, to know God is to know joy. You can't know God and not know joy. Those things are not, they're intrinsically together. You can't separate them. I hear too many times this concept that I know God and because I know God at some point I will receive his joy. I'm going to talk about what that means to know him in that context. If we look at Psalms 46.10, it says this, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is what the psalmist is saying. Funny he doesn't say be still and feel that I'm God. It's interesting, hey? Doesn't say that. But how often do we go, you know what, I don't feel the joy of the Lord right now. But to know God is to know joy. To feel God is not to know joy. To feel emotion is not a source of joy. He doesn't say this, hey, be still and say that I'm God. Identifying that there is a God is not your source of joy. You might identify that there's a God in your life or there's a God that created everything, but if you don't know him, you don't know joy. 
So you can say it all you want. You can say the joy of the Lord is my strength all you want. It's nothing but bubble, froth and bubble. No substance to that. Because it says here, be still and know that I am God. To have knowledge of God. What does that mean? Well, surely the psalmist here is speaking about having an academic understanding of God. Knowledge. Surely this is what he's talking about, right? The only problem with that is, under that context, knowledge becomes your God. Oh, it says that I shouldn't have any God before him. Oh, I'm cooked. See, the knowledge of God is different to knowing God. Well, obviously, the psalmist is talking about personal revelation as the knowledge of God. My own nuanced interpretation of God in my partially self-authored narrative called life. The only problem with that is that now I'm God. <laughs> and if, if I'm God, well, we're all in trouble because I ain't bringing you joy the way he can bring you joy. I can try. We'll just leave that there. My filter's kicking right in. It's like... <laughs> See, both of these scenarios that we talk about is to know of God. But it's not to know God. See, for instance, I can know about the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, right? But because I know about him, I, I wouldn't say that I know him. And if I said to you I know him, you would immediately think I have a, a relationship with him. But if I said no, I just saw him on the news, you'd be like, oh, that's weird. So we have to trust each other. When it comes to knowing something, we have to be willing to share with one another. So to know God is to trust God. To know God is to reveal what you're going through to God, even though he knows. To know God is to share your life with him. So when it says, be still and know that I am God, it's not to the I know of you. It's to I know you through relationship. See, the Hebrew here for be still is actually stop wrestling. Right? Be still. That's what a parent wants to say to their four-year-old who's jacked up on sugar. That's my, that's my night tonight. After this, you all go home. Hey, wasn't God wonderful? Joy of the Lord. I'm going to have a four-year-old who's just eating her weight in candy. Booing the boogie. He's going to go until the wee hours of the morning. And I'm going to say, hey, be still. And know that I am dad. And I have access to things that help you calm down. To be still is to stop wrestling. To know that I am God is relationship. So he's saying, hey, stop wrestling and rest in my relationship. Oh, come on. Maybe we don't have a, 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 an understanding of joy because we're still wrestling with the things that God said stop wrestling with. And we're not resting in the things he's told us to rest in. Can I tell you a story? You might have heard this before, but when we moved here to Canada years ago now, and I love that I can say that years ago, it's a distant memory that season. It's like God was so good in that season. Maybe not me, but he was. Right, when we moved here, my visa that I was meant to have didn't work out. Right, but I remember before we left, I said, God, you know what, I just want two months after, you know, being a pastor for seven years at that time, seven and a half years, going hard. You know, we did a lot in our time over there and it was amazing. It was fun, but I was getting older, you know, 29. I was like, oh, Lord, 
29 years on this earth, I just, I just need two months off. Just two easy months, Lord. And then we land and nothing worked and nothing went right and, and I was wrestling the whole time, right? And you might have heard me say this before people get offended, but like I go to churches uh, and at the time, back in 2017, there's that song, He's in the waiting. You know that song? And again, you go to church and some skinny kid that's got ripped jeans and is like, you know, leather jackets with, you know, barely any facial hair, but he's trying his best. You know, he's in the waiting. I'm like, shut up. You shut up right now. The only thing you've had to wait for is your coffee and Starbucks. You know, I'm getting frustrated. Nothing, that kid's done nothing wrong. But I'm wrestling, right? You know, and, and as you know, I'm still here. What I tell you, that God actually provided what I needed. But you know, when he provided it in that day, my visa and I crossed the border, which was the two months since I'd been here, I came back and he said, well, how good do you feel? I'm like, great. And he's like, why didn't you rest for the last two months? I gave you two months, that's on you. I haven't had two months rest since. Right? The two months I had, I didn't have for very long. Why? Because when I was meant to be still and stop wrestling and rest in knowing my God, that he'd called me, that he had appointed me, that he'd provided a way, I was still wrestling with what was my obstacle and I didn't inherit what I was meant to inherit was two months of rest. I could have had the best two months of just parting it up in you know, the lower mainland. You can ask Emma, my stress became everyone's stress, right? That's how it happens. So your wrestle becomes everyone else's wrestle. Your disobedience becomes everyone else's problem. If you're a mum or a dad right now and you lead a household, you need to know that if you haven't got the art of being still and knowing who God is, then you're affecting your kids in a negative way. You're not leading them in the way they need to know right now. And I say that from someone who's got that awfully wrong many times, but by the grace of God, I'm here. I'm telling you that if we can get this right, our next generation, as a church, if all we do is wrestle and not rest in the joy of the Lord, then we're setting up the next generation to not know what real joy is. We're telling them you've got to work for joy, not that it's found in knowing God, that you've got to do something right, not that it's by the grace of God that covers a multitude of sin. The joy of the Lord is in knowing Him. So if to know God is to know joy. I love that sound. going to make me clucky. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Might be some other joy tonight. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's godly. We're married. It's fine. To know God is to know joy. That's why in Galatians, see that concept of, of to be still and know that I'm God's Old Testament. The joy of the Lord is my strength is Old Testament. But then we look at Galatians 5, to 23. What do we hear? This is the fruit of the Spirit. And as God is in us, as He's living in us, as we know Him, the Bible tells us one of the fruit, one of the attributes of God is joy. So the New Testament concept of knowing God includes joy. This is not an Old Testament thing. See, God alone can truly uh, can produce joy by Himself. He can, he can do this through His living Spirit in us if we trust Him. It doesn't need any other ingredients. It doesn't need finances. It doesn't need other relationships. You don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Those things are great. The joy of the Lord stands outside of those bounds. 
See, the best part of that means is that the joy of God is not dependent on the situation you're in. It means right now that if God is within me, if I'm being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, like that that churning out of what I don't need with the replacement of what I do need in that process, which is day in, day out, never ending until I'm into perfection with God, then I'm feeling joy in that process. Because he says it's the fruit. It's the evidence that God is doing a work in me. It doesn't say, hey, guess what? You know God's been like in your life because everything's perfect. And because everything's perfect, you got the joy. There's plenty of people in this world that have earthly perfection. They've got more money than they know what to do with. They've got more fame than they should have. Or they've got fame for things they shouldn't have fame for. And in all of that, they still have no joy. That's because the Bible tells us that only God himself can give us the ability to respond to life's difficult circumstances with joy, that inner contentment that satisfaction. So to know God is to know joy. If you leave here with nothing else tonight, know this, to know God is when you go to sleep tonight, let it rest in your mind and in your heart. To know God is to know joy. Now, if that's settled in your heart, the next one is going to really lighten you up a bit more because to know joy is to know salvation. See, the experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation provide the most significant occasions for rejoicing amongst the people of God in the Old Testament. See, there's a relationship here between Israel, God's people, and God himself. There's this relationship that's taking place, right? And the Bible tells us that there is a coming together and then there is a disobedience and a rejection from Israel and they'd go out into captivity and they'd be coming back. But the, 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 the whole understanding of joy for them was in deliverance and salvation. We see this in King David when he writes Psalms 51, 10 to 12. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is the part I want you to focus in on. Restore unto me the what? The joy of my salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do you know the spiritual context of joy in the Old Testament is the fact that in God, in their provider, in Yahweh to them, was salvation, was deliverance. We see this take place from the moment Exodus begins right through. Joy for them, rejoicing, festivals had to do and surround the concept deliverance and salvation. It's synonymous. You wouldn't have a reason to rejoice if there wasn't salvation, if there wasn't an anticipation for salvation, if there wasn't deliverance from something. You see in the New Testament that the coming Messiah who delivers his what? His people and brings salvation becomes the basis of what? Our joy. Isn't that interesting? Old Testament was deliverance and salvation. The New Testament coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Our joy is now found in what? Our salvation in him. The response of joy Gladness, happiness, all those things that we feel, the Bible tells us, actually, if we look at it in an expression, we call it celebration, and it happens when the people of God come together. James 1, 
Verse 2 to 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Let's just reverse that again. (laughs) Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Say what? Whenever you face trials of many kinds. (laughs) Okay. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Boom. Can I tell you right now? You will never mature in God if you have not understood his joy. Because he says here, consider it. There's a technique here that James says, and it helps us. And I want you to think about it. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it. In some other English translations, it says, count it. Count it pure joy. That word means to systematically scrutinize or to examine it as if you were taking an exam yourself. The idea is that every believer, think about this, should thoroughly list the potential advantages of the situation to gain a better understanding of God and what he may want to accomplish. Wait a minute. Joy all of a sudden can't be a feeling. More than a feeling. Come on, sing it, Cole. All right, worship team, we're going to sing that next. We're going to worship to that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You can't fully mature in your faith if you don't know how to look through the circumstances in your life with a lens of joy. Right? We see this take place. Like, let, let me give you an illustration of how this would work. This is like a child counting money. It's like counting money from a piggy bank and then realizing they had more money than they thought. But at some point, the kid has to start counting. Right? Ever had a piggy bank? Why is it a piggy bank? Should have done some research into that. Had too much time doing other things. But when we start counting what God has done in our life with the posture of joy, all of a sudden you realize well, there's way more moments than I realized that God was bringing joy, that he was accomplishing something of great, great outcomes. Because we have a short memory, hey? Because we're all like sheep that have gone astray. Last week I banged on about this. Hey, sheep are dumb animals. They're dumb animals. Like, we should be offended if it wasn't the fact that it came from our Savior. Like, if I came up to you and said, hey, you're a sheep. I don't even know what a singular plural thing for it is. Like, you're a shoop. Like, like sheep are everywhere in Australia, they're dumb and they forget really easy. And so when I look at this, of course, we have to take time as human beings to reflect and count. I mean, you've got to be deliberate. We say this to all our leaders and I'd say it to you as well. Make sure you're journaling the things of God in your life because you'll lose memory. You won't remember and you've got to be reminded that our God is a faithful God, that he's done countless things in your life that are undeserved, that you're unworthy for, that you haven't actually qualified for, but he's been faithful and he's been good and he's brought the joy in every season and you've got to count it. There's an old chorus called Count Your Blessings. By Johnson Oatman, it goes like this. It says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you 
what the Lord has done. Come on. See, when we truly count or consider what God is doing, we will conclude that indeed our response should be one of joy. Because he's a good God and he's in charge of all that we do. And if he's never failed us before, he's not going to fail us now. Amen. That means we have joy in our imminent salvation. See, all of a sudden the Old Testament makes way more sense now. Way more sense. So when the joy of the Lord is my strength, when I look at the fact that I'm up against a giant or maybe up against an, an impassable mountain or maybe there's a wall in my way, maybe there's darkness stopping me and I say the joy of the Lord is my strength, what I'm saying is that I've counted a pure joy to go through what He's done before in my life, that nothing has stopped Him before. So why would it stop Him now? And when I count those things my God has done for me, how can I not find strength that joy is inevitable, that mountain will be moved, that wall will crumble, that giant will be slayed? Why? Because the joy joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord allows me to step forward in confidence. It allows me to know that even if I don't have an answer right now, my God has a provision for that. Come on, you got a need to know right now. You have a need to know in your notes. God is a God of joy and to know God is to know joy and to know joy is to know salvation. And to know all of that completely means when you say the joy of the Lord is my strength, you actually know what you're saying. You're actually living it out. Man, I get excited about this. In John Piper's poetic refrain, he, he makes this comment, and I think it's beautiful. He says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. Oh, we don't talk about that, hey? Because we're like, God, use me, and when you use me, you will be known. But what is the most compelling argument to a non-believer, to the glory of God, to the name of Jesus, is your satisfaction in Him. Not your all-conquering nature in Him, right? Not your miracle-working desires in Him, in your satisfaction in Him. God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in Him. Hey, isn't that such an easier equation than God needs to be glorified because I worked a miracle? Or I manufactured an outcome because then all of a sudden I'm carrying everything. I'm birthing it by the flesh. I'm in charge of everything. I'm incapable of doing even some of the easiest things in life, let alone bringing salvation to the whole of the, you know, the world and every human that has lived, will live and is to come. I can't do that. So I can't do it for one person. I can't do it for anyone. If I can't do it for you, I can't do it for me, which tells me right now I need to find joy and satisfaction in my Lord. See, God is righteous, and therefore, He's not indifferent to His own glory. Right? He's not indifferent to His glory. All the good news for us, so, sorry, all the good news for those of us laying claim on the blood and righteousness of His Son is that it's not indifferent from our joy. Like when we claim Jesus, when we claim the blood, it's not separated from the joy of the Lord. Like there should, you shouldn't claim that stuff sadly. <laughs> hmm. Lord, right now, just claim your blood. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong, there's times to lament. There's times to weep and mourn. Hey, but when you're claiming the righteousness of God, you stand up straight. You carry the joy of the Lord. Because what you're invoking right now resurrects things. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be taken as a form of just earthly, 
It's something that begins to sustain us. God is righteous. And because of Jesus, because of what he did, we, have laid, we get to lay claim to that righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful narrative? See, it's not this thin, frivolous, empty joy, merely external circumstances in a fallen world can bring. But this, I love this, this thick, substantive, rich joy that can run deeper and wider than life's otherwise most joyless settings. That is the goodness. Of, that's the love of our God. That his joy is deeper, it is wider, it stretches higher than anything you could ever imagine. And so right now, if we know God, we know joy. If we know joy, you need to know in that joy you are saved. You can't be robbed of the God outcome. You can't be robbed of the God anointing. You can't be robbed of God's favour, but you can give it away. Isn't that interesting? You can't be robbed of it, but you can give it away. Do you know when Paul, not when Paul, when, when David writes, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, renew a right spirit in me, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. You know that scripture verse, do you know why he's writing that? Do you know why he's lamenting in that? He just messed up with Bathsheba. Right? And we know how the story goes, and if you don't, you can read about it. He's just messed up with Bathsheba. He did something he shouldn't have done. He wasn't obedient. Back in the day when, you know, Pastor Emma preached a great message on Samuel, whose job was to usher in the era of kings. And she mentioned this, and it's a powerful thought, and it's simply this. Kings to Israel weren't like kings to other nations. The king of Israel was to live his life as a pure, as, as, most, as, as much as possible, as an example of righteousness, as much as a, an earthly human being could. And the kingdom would rise and fall on their example. That's pretty crazy, right? Because all of a sudden, you as king no longer was this like, you do this and you do this and cup of tea, please. It wasn't, it wasn't, your job was to be a living example of what it meant to be in relationship with God. And so David violates this. And what he's reflecting on is when Saul, his predecessor, had violated it. Because what happened when Saul, when Saul violated it, Samuel rocked up and God took his anointing off him. God took his spirit and favour away from him. That's why David says, hey, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. He's positioning himself. Why? For this simple request. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Don't do to me what you did to Saul. I'm so sorry. Give me another chance. Bible says that David had a heart after God. That prayer was a genuine one. It wasn't one out of fear of like the people not liking him anymore. It was one out of relationship like, man, I wronged you. You're my friend. I'm so sorry. Would you give me another go at this? Would you create, recreate in me what it should have been like instead of what I made it? And he says, can you do that? And in that, when I receive that salvation again, I know I'd receive the joy. Why? Because joy to know joy is to know salvation. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our God? You know, Nehemiah makes this comment in 8.10, and I've been saying it for a while. You might not know this is in Nehemiah. He says this, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Come on, Nehemiah, preach it. Amen. We should say amen to that. It's, it's Halloween. Amen. And send some of those who have nothing... Uh, send some to those who have nothing prepared. So take care of those that haven't, you know, the ability to have nice things. And this day is the holy day to our Lord. 
do not grieve. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is where it comes from. I want to conclude right now. Let me get the worship team to start getting ready with answering some fundamental questions simply around this. The joy of the Lord is my strength, is your strength, is our strength. And I want you to understand that what you're about to hear should equip you when you claim and lay claim to this verse and the covenant promise in it. So here we go. What is the joy of the Lord? See, when Ezra, prior to this, was reading the law to the people, the Bible tells us that it produced sorrow. They were convicted by their behavior that it wasn't aligned with God and they were pretty sad about it, like genuinely grieving. See, they had just been restored back to the the promised land. And in that, Nehemiah starts reading out the law, starts reading out the relational covenant through the law and they start weeping in their conviction. But instead of being rebuked or condemned, it's interesting that they were instructed to celebrate because of the joy of the Lord. Not for it as if it is to come, but because of it, that it had arrived, that it was present. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't condemn them. Got to ask the question, like, why would our God, our Lord, have joy when they were a bunch of sinners? Why would our God have joy with us when we're a bunch of rebels? So if you read the Old Testament and you'd see the narrative around Israel, you'd see the children of God were never known for their perfect behavior. And surprise, neither are we. They were known for being the people of God. They were His. You've got to understand, like, we are His. Like, not in a overlording sense, but as a father to a child. Levi is my son. He is mine. And we are the children of God. He is our father. We are his. He doesn't look at us and go, what a bunch of sinners. He looks at us and he says, oh, my kids. See, his people here had been separated from him in exile for years, and they were finally reunited with him. This is a reuniting of God's people, his children, back to him. Do I see when I see and I read those words, that reuniting of his people back to him? I see God happy because his kids have come home. That's what's happening here. That's why God's joy is there. That's why the joy of the Lord is present. Not because a bunch of sinners have finally made it back, but because his kids have finally come home. His people are back. Mums and dads out there, you know how it is when the kids come home. It's amazing. 
kids out there, you know how your mom and dad is when you go home, right? Like their level of excitement and preparation far outstrips whatever you did, right? Mom usually has thought through like the next 10 meals and she's added extra snacks in the fridge and the cupboards, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like this is the heart, like your mom and dad, as much as possible, are an earthly representation of God in that context of care and love. So no wonder the Bible says the joy of the Lord was present because dad just had his kids come home. He's been preparing for them. He's been waiting on this moment. Not so that they would be like, we're so sorry, even though that's important, but that the relationship would be restored. See, we see in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories of things that had been lost and found. He talks about a sheep, not our favourite. <laughs> talks about a coin, it's a bit better, yeah, everyone loves to find a coin. And he talks about a son, a prodigal. All three end with what? They end with rejoicing. See, when the prodigal comes home and he's wasted his inheritance and he's been reckless and careless and and rebellious, when he comes home, the Bible says that the father had prepared a feast. The father met him where he was at. The father's love, the joy of the Lord reigned and they rejoiced, they celebrated. There was excitement in the house. See, the religious brother didn't get it, but the brother that had come home had received what he was undeserved to him and that was salvation. That was grace. How does the, Lord, the joy of the Lord provide strength? See, I look at the children of Israel and they mourned due to their failure to uphold the law. They felt hopelessly separated from God. But God is love. Isn't that awesome? God is love. And the Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. God covers a multitude of sins. See, the joy of the Lord gives us, us mere mortals, the strength to reach out for God's provision of love and salvation. We get to, because of the joy of the Lord, reach out. Think about that dynamic. Someone like me gets to reach out to the God that created the heaven and the earth. Why? Because my God is love. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness, with His love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You need to know right now that the joy of the Lord that you are encountering first came from God's joy in you. See, if you don't understand this right now, I hope, you, hope you're receiving this. You hope you're picking this up. Is that if we were to repeat that, you need to know that our God is not this big old man looking figure with steel-capped boots up in heaven, looking for your moment to step out in line so he can get you like an ant. And I know you're like, Pastor Ben, we know that. But do you? Because, uh, you know, sometimes we live as if that's exactly what's taking place, where it's no longer relational. It's a reactive God who doesn't want us to be rebellious and he'd rather squash us. But the Bible tells us here in this story that the joy of the Lord is our strength, is a God that could do that, would be justified in doing that and would be trusted in doing that, decides out of love to cover the multitudes of our sins and celebrate us and to sing joy over us and to rejoice in the relationship with us. That's our God. 
I want that God. I don't want all this other stuff. All, all of a sudden, you look to the world and you're like, I don't care about money. I don't care about that boyfriend I don't have right now. A little bit more than money, but anyway. Think about that. All of a sudden, when we say the joy of the Lord is our strength, well, the joy of the Lord provides this type of strength. I get to reach out to my God and His provision of love and salvation. What is strength? This one's really simple. The strength that God provides us with is His grace. Isn't that beautiful? Ephesians 4, 7 says, To each of us, grace has been given. Ephesians 1, 6 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belongs to His dear Son. I love this one. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What is our strength? It's grace. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God's love for us is our grace. It's His love for us that is our grace. You could literally now say, when you say the joy of the Lord is my strength, you can say the love of my Lord is His grace. Think about that. Would you stand with me tonight? So what does this mean? This is what it means. I'm going to go back into worship soon. Would you repeat this after me? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's try it again, but this time with everything that I've taught you tonight, with that lens, just with your eyes shut, would you repeat after me? The joy of the Lord is our strength. What does that mean? It means that it's brought to fullness when we accept His provision of righteousness by grace that reunites us so we can enjoy His presence. The joy of the Lord is our strength is brought to its fullness when we accept His provision of righteousness by grace that reunites us so we can enjoy His presence. Church, tonight, as we worship in the joy of the Lord, as we flourish in the strength which is His grace, can we allow it to be brought to fullness through understanding that He has provided righteousness through Jesus Christ by grace so that we would be reunited with Him in relationship. This is our joy. 
So when you're up against it, and trust me, I know this year most of us have found ourselves really up against it at some season or at some point or at some time. You need to know right now, when you're claiming the joy of the Lord is your strength, what you're saying is my relationship in God sustains me. My relationship with my God allows me to see beyond my problem. My relationship with Jesus allows me to say a few words and all of a sudden a way is made. My relationship with Jesus allows me to hide behind His goodness and not be afraid of the things of this world. My relationship with my God, with my Jesus, allows me to stand tall and not cower. My relationship with Jesus allows me to come broken and be mended whole. Church, we ready to worship under the joy of the Lord? Let it be brought into fullness right now. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.